17 of the Attic Sessions and we're really excited today because we happen to be in the company of one of America's finest poets, uh, the poet, essayist and short story writer Tess Gallagher. Tess, delighted to have you here um, and you are very yes. welcome to the Attic. Um, Glad to be here. Now, you're no stranger to Ireland, it has to be said, and, and I know you've been coming back and forth for, what, 40 years? Well, yes, at least. <laughs> <laughs> and so we'll talk about that, that, that shortly, that connection with Ireland and, and how it came about. But first, I'd like you to take me back to the beginning of, you know, your experience with, with poetry. How, how did it happen? Was poetry read a lot in your house? How did you decide it was something you wanted to explore? Well, I did love poetry in, in um, my high school. I had a wonderful teacher, actually two wonderful teachers. And um, I think uh, what happened to me was that I began to realize that there were living poets. They weren't all just dead and in the books. Sure. Because I had a teacher, Mrs. Matthew, who had us reading poetry in magazines. And so we had the Atlantic Monthly. Oh, wow. And I was reading, still again, mostly male poets. Uh -huh. But nonetheless, these were live people writing poetry. So. And were, were there people reading and doing live performance at the time or was your experience purely through, through the magazines? Through reading, just, just really reading and, and then Shakespeare, we acted out Shakespeare, I thought that was wonderful and uh, I was trying to write, you know, scribbling away. <laughs> was, there a, was there a school magazine? Was, you know, were, were you yes, I worked on the, in journalism at the same time. Okay. Yeah. So when did you first send out a poem to a to a little magazine, to a sort of a, a professional Well, when I went poetry? to college, um, I left home when I was about 17. Um, and then I had uh, Theodore Recchi at the University of Washington. And uh, I was one of the youngest students in there. I don't know really to the day how I got in there because I was just stumbling along and didn't think that much of what I had to offer you had to really compete to get in there um, and so what was the process did people. you you did you send a, a batch of poems or, or yes yeah, I gave over oh, four or five poems and were you interviewed or or no no uh, you were just taken on the basis of the poems or not the letter arrived saying yes well, it actually was posted outside the door. Oh, and wow. went up there, a little squad of you, you know, and read the names. And somebody read my name, said, Tess, you're in. You're in, you're in, you're <laughs> in. So, so what was that like? Was it workshops? Was, you know, what workshops, yeah. And, uh, you know, Recky was a very kind of unpredictable guy. You really never knew any class what was going to happen. And um, sometimes he would send us outside. Uh, to write and then mm -hmm. to come back, he'll say, go, he would say, go out and write as, as many lines of iambic pentameter as you can and come back and then you would read these out and then you would have commentary. And you were probably no problem, I know my Shakespeare, so, so that sort of is a very... Yeah, that didn't kind of bother me. Yeah. But um, actually I had asked to have myself excused from the class early on because 
I um, didn't really know a lot of the poets he was talking about. You know, I, I just was raised out in the sticks there. And who was and he drawing on? What were they mostly American, or was he going to the European? Well, American, British. Yeah, I just had no education essentially. Mm -hmm. It was my first year. Mm -hmm and uh, college and uh, so how did you work through that well I, I went to his office and I said I just don't think I'm ready I think I better come back next fall if I if I'm able would that be all right no he said if you're coming girl come now <laughs> it was kind of a little sexual innuendo <laughs> I laugh at, at the encounter now but uh, you know it was a good thing because he died that summer and he had spent time in Ireland, hadn't he? he am I right yes, in thinking he uh -huh. was in Balnaslow at one stage? And, and uh, Yeah, it was just brief, I think. Yeah, so it? was he talking about Irish poetry at all? Do you remember? Um, Ted Hughes, uh, British, yeah. you know, but that... But links I, with the west of Ireland, indeed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't recall that there was, you know, but uh, Louise Bogan, I remember very well from... Uh, they, they had a love affair, of course, and... Mm -hmm. Um, and he would be reading also letters. It wouldn't be just poems. He read to us quite a lot. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got to appreciate uh, the way uh, poets communicated privately with yeah. one another. Yeah. Um, um, and, and who were, do you think, who were the poets who you discovered through that who have sort of had a lifetime influence? Have there been? Well, Yeats, of course. He did. He did talk about Yeats. That's right. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I, I loved Yeats uh, always. Um, and um, Louise Bogan has always been a very strong influence. Mm -hmm. um, Auden came up, and uh, um, let's see who else would I? It just we talked about just everybody. Yeah. You know, he was just a feast. <laughs> so was this was this during the period when the whole confessional movement was going on? Like like you know Lowell, yes, when he Bishop mentioned and Lowell. And and what about like where did Plath sort of figure in? We no no talk about Plath, no. Oh, that's interesting. No, what well, we all read her, yeah. of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, so why would you say that she was not really part of the? Was she not part of the canon? Well, you know, that was the women's movement was, was in process uh, when she came uh, forward. Uh, and I don't think that had been absorbed. Yeah. And certainly not by, by Retke. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were talking Byron, you know. and um, We were all over the place, but it was mostly the old dead guys, yeah. you know. <laughs> it, it, and it's interesting because I, I read a little about um, Ivan Bolin's process from starting writing poems and then I think at some stage she discovers um, Adrienne Rich mm -hmm. and you can see the sort of the massive change, change yes. through that sort of uh, exposure to, to the political um, right. reformation of, of yeah, language yeah, really and yeah. thinking about how yeah. one as a woman uses language. So did, did that kind of happen for you at any point? Yes. Um, I think um, I, w I was looking for a model, and of course I taught Rich later, um, but I came early to, um, when I was uh, at Iowa, I was educated at the University of Iowa um, in the writer's workshop, um, to Akhmadova, 
and uh, Svatayava, mm -hmm. but mostly um, those translations by Stanley Kunitz oh, okay. of Akhmatova. Yeah. And she was so strong and so compelling. And, you know, she, she was just monumental, really, and there was just nobody like her of that kind of stature, even in America, I thought. You know, and what she had been through in the political arena, um, and how she had stood up to that challenge. Mm. I so admired it. And was was there a point, because I, I um, remember hearing um, the novelist, actually, Joseph O'Connor, once say that, you know, one of one of the things he did quite early on, because he adored Chekhov, was to try and rewrite a uh, story of Chekhov, but in his own voice, his own mm -hmm. sort of tongue. So I'm just wondering, mm -hmm. were there points when you were thinking, okay, I'd love to write an Akhmatova, but I'm going to write it as a Gallagher, you know, how... how well, I sort of feel, feel like, um, you know, that I, I have my... I, I was developing my own way even then, so I didn't go and try to find her in my voice. I tried to speak with her, ah. and I found her kind of inhabiting some part of me which I wanted to um, address. And so I began to address her in the, one, of the, one of the poems I wrote at that time. Which is really interesting because I think, you know, certainly collaboration with other poets has been, you know, living poets has mm -hmm. been sort of part of your, your, mm -hmm. your process. And we'll talk about that in a little while as well. But there's always been a sense of dialogue and communication mm, yeah. with other writers. Yeah. Ah, very, very. You hit something there, my dear. Well, <laughs> there you go. It happens very occasionally. Um, so you live... And you grew up in Washington State, and, and, yes. and for a lot of the year you, you lived there near Port Angeles on, yeah. on the coast. What's that like as a landscape for a poet? Like, what, what is well, it like? Well, uh, I'm, you know, I'm split between uh, several venues there because um, I have this little house that I built and had when I was about 36. I finished it, and um, Ray and I spent time there. I finished it in, gosh, 82, um, and um, it was too small, really, for two writers to live in, so Ray found another house for that, mm -hmm. but um, I still kept going there and doing my writing, and when we had guests, we would have them there, mm -hmm. and I still use it every mm -hmm. day I'm there for some part of the day, mm -hmm. and that's what I call the Sky House, and so that place is full of, like Dublin, gulls. You you wake up to gulls and the beautiful light. And you can see from that house the waves hit the shore. Mm -hmm. And uh, you sleep there, you open the windows, of course, and you can hear those waves in your sleep. There's something about you know, the rhythms. The rhythms are just beautiful there. Yeah. So so the, the, the landscape thing and... and, and um, I had heard Paula Meehan quite recently um, talking about uh, landscape writing and, and I think voicing a little suspicion about like the pastoral tradition of, of prettifying or, or, you know, that there are, I suppose, a whole political uh, way of looking at landscape now and ecology is all tied to, I suppose, how we view climate and, and, and that now. So, so are you conscious of those sort of thoughts when you're sort of writing about landscape there or, or you know, how do you respond to it? Yes, I think 
I, ha I have a poem called Choices. I don't know if you know that one. Uh, I don't. Um, would it be in? Uh, I, have, I have it. I ah, wonderful. It. Yes, I um, may, might be a lovely time to hear yeah, it. Yeah, I'll just read you that one because um, it, it, it speaks to that, I think. I hope it's in here. Yeah, this is it. Um, yeah, I, I grew up um, in the logging camps. My parents were both loggers. My father uh, was spar tree rigger, and my mother was a choker setter. And these are both rough and ready. What was a choker setter? A choker setter is uh, somebody who uh, takes this big, heavy cable, and they walk in their shoes. She didn't have um, anything, any hobnails, you know, in the bottom of her shoes, but she had to walk in just street shoes down these uh, logs, these trees that had been felled, and snaffle these around that uh, tree, and then it would be yarded, it's called yarded, uh, with a, a motor and a drum, and this, this cable would be reeled up, and that tree would come into the clearing, wow. and there it would be cut up into pulpwood, and uh, my job was to take a little yardstick. You know, it was a, you know, a little over, what, five feet, five and a half, I don't know exactly the measure, but, and a little hatchet, and I was to notch where the cut would be on these logs. So it was a, I had a job, you know, yeah. and I was a kid, but I had a job. I also collected cones, and I also uh, cut salal for the florists, you know, and, so I, I really lived in the woods. I was like a little wood child, little live girl, and built. Uh, I built things uh, for lunch. I would invite my parents into the latest little log cabin I had built, and I would thatch it with fireweed. So I'm kind of guessing <laughs> that if you're a worker within the landscape, you're not going to be a tourist. You're going to yeah. respond to it in a very different yes. way. Yes, and and I got lost one time. It was really a terrifying thing, you know. And people get lost in those forests out there and never appear, you know. And of course, I didn't know that, but I knew that it was an awful experience. I could hear my parents calling to me. So is this poem going to give so us a, a taste yeah, of that? This is, uh, well, this is about the trees, really. Um, you, you realize that when they fall down, it's a death. And I really felt all those deaths. Mm -hmm. And so I felt that I owed them a great debt, you know, because that was our living. Mm. That's how we survived. And there were five children, and my parents were both immigrants, you would say, from the Mid-South. Um, my mother was from Missouri, and my father was from Oklahoma. Okay, this is called Choices. I go to the mountainside of the house to cut saplings and clear a view to snow on the mountain. But when I look up, saw in hand, I see a nest clutched in the uppermost branches. I don't cut that one. I don't cut the others either. Suddenly, in every tree, an unseen nest where a mountain would be. Wow. I think the, the portrait of uh, the woman standing, the girl standing next to her mother, mm. that um, she gave me so much, you know, in in doing a man's work mm -hmm. um, in that environment of, that I had in childhood, and indeed that's how we do learn things. We mm. stand next to our mother, and and who that mother is and what she has done 
has a great moment for us, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And um, the, 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 the poem Choices was written, I think, to save the trees, you know. To s I remember saying to myself, well, if it can just save one tree, I'll, I'll be happy. And are those forests that, that your parents sort of logged in, are they still there? or, or Well, the, the, I think they were logging some first growth, but a lot of second growth yeah. also. So the, the forests now um, have been pretty well plundered. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the ones that belong to the state are being uh, replanted. Mm -hmm. And it's mostly private timber now that's being mm -hmm. logged. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when you then come to your little cottage on Loch Arrow mm -hmm. uh, for a certain um, couple of months of, uh, of the year when, when you're here, right. and that's on the Sligo-Roscommon border, do you find yourself writing different poems? The landscape is quite different. So, so is it a different process or experience? Yeah, I think it is. Uh, it's very lucid here, and uh, I find um, that uh, very, very fluid sense of being. Um, maybe also because I spend so much time looking out the window, you know, at the lake. Water is still the connective element. Mm, mm. Uh, I have uh, the Strait of Juan de Fuca at home, but uh, my chair faces Loch Arrow, and uh, I can always see this little patch of water there, mm -hmm, and I can mm -hmm. tell how hard the wind is blowing by w whether the lake is, is kicking up. And I take a walk every day, mm. at least once, down to the lake. Do, do you find yourself com composing as you walk? I've heard poets say that, that the rhythm of walking helps. Oh, I think it's a beautiful thing, uh, the rhythm of walking. Um, not really anymore. I used to do that in Iowa <laughs> when I was young. Uh, but something will come from the walk mm. quite often. Mm. There was a poem that was in The New Yorker. I don't know if you saw that in I February. I did, yeah, yes, indeed. Should we read that one? Yes, do you, if you have it handy. Let's see. Um, yeah, it was called uh, Cloud Path, I think. It's late in the book. Yeah, because this will give you that sense mm. of that your whole being um, kind of uh, overlaps other elements, you know, and one thing doesn't stay like where you thought it was. And they are uh, crossing and going through you. Cloud path. With steps freshened by wearing a man's cast-off shoes, I follow the rain-rutted road as far as the fishing boats turned upside down on the soggy bank, their oars secured elsewhere to provide against thieves. Mottled light through waterside trees over the bows and sterns means trading fish for birds. I take up the invisible oars put by for just this occasion, a banishing scald of sun blotted inexactly by a succession of wind-blown clouds able to lift the entire flotilla. A bird flies through me, then a fish. Lovely. <laughs> and you used the word lucid a little earlier. Um, 
is that sort of light atmosphere? Is it the culture? Because I, I just wondered what what resonates about Irish culture so much. Well, uh, here, here it's really for me. It's and I don't know. It's not the same for every, every Irish person. Even uh, for me as a visitor, I think I'm always kind of a bit lonely, a bit trying to find uh, my bearings, um, and figure out what what it does mean to be this far from home. Mm -hmm. And I live within a clan, um, quite a large uh, Irish family. Uh, Josie Gray, my companion, he's a, a painter, and he had eight, he has eight children, mm -hmm. uh, now all grown, four girls and four boys. And he painted the cover. Yes, he did the cover of, of Midnight my Lantern. There. Yes, yeah. and he's going to do uh, the cover of my new book. Um, is is not, and uh, going to do. Uh, a, we're using a painting of his for my Romanian book, which I'm going to be on tour with okay. in, in September. That's uh -huh. uh, a, a very wonderful painting. So is that position so of kind of loneliness a, a good place for the writer to be? Because yeah, you need that. Yeah, I think that. it is. It's productive for me. And uh, it's difficult sometimes because uh, you don't know uh, who your um, comrades are. Mm. I do find language here is uh, is a more a prize here. I mean, you you really have to talk much more carefully. I find in, in America we're very sloppy about how we talk, and uh, also um, how our confidences. Mm -hmm. You know, we we give things out very easily. You can't do that in Irish society. Yeah, secrets and, uh, have to be very carefully guarded have to in be Ireland. Very careful and. I would say, you know, uh, it's very hard to have those confidences, really, with very many people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, so it takes you a long time to develop those particular kinds of supports, mm -hmm. I would say. Mm. <laughs> well, um, the first time I heard you read, and I think it was 96, maybe, uh, 97, in Bewley's Cafe in, in Grafton Street, and you had given uh, your own reading, and then at the very end, you asked the audience whether they knew any poems of your late husband, Ray, Ray Carver, who, who you mentioned a little earlier. And at that point, somebody in the audience began to recite the poem Late Fragment to you. Um, so I wondered, are you very conscious of that legacy of keeping Ray's work alive? And, and you know, can it be burdensome? Can it get in the way of your own practice? Because there's a lot to do. You have his his estate and stuff, so yes, there's a lot to do. But it's a pleasure, a real pleasure. I mean, we loved each other, you know, more than I can really say. Um, uh, it, it it's a really a good thing uh, because I meet so many people who love his work, and um, and then they get to know my work. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning, it was the opposite, you know, uh, because I was known and he wasn't. Um, the most recent friend I've made is uh, with Alejandro Inaritu, the wonderful director of, of Birdman mm -hmm. and um, The Revenant. And uh, that is, has been wonderful, and he's mm -hmm. contributed a lot to this book. In because Birdman was, was famously sort of based around Ray's short Ray's story. Ray's short story. What we talk about when we yes, talk about love. Right. 
And then we as we became friends and he be began to know Ray's work more than uh, discover the poem that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And that became the start of the film. Mm -hmm. So that's a, it's a joy, mm. really. I, I don't feel eclipsed by it in any way. I feel like it's, uh, it's not even an extra. It's kind of embedded in me by this time. And very often I'll start the day um, with looking at some book covers mm. uh, or deciding if we're going to go into this or that anthology mm. and mm -hmm. what, ter what the terms will be. Mm. So I've now been handling all of this for almost 30 years. So I know quite a lot about, about it all now. And um, this last uh, summer, uh, well, it's May, which coming into spring, you say, and uh, that his birthday is the 25th, and so I always try to do something there on his mm -hmm. birthday. And uh, we have a reading out at the gravesite, and we read his poems. And one fellow declaimed also a Theodore Retke poem because that's his birthday, May 25th. Oh, wow. And uh, my friends helped me get uh, it established that May 25th will be Raymond Carver Day now. And that's what happened this last May. Oh, wonderful. Uh, in Port Angeles. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, and, but I guess one of the advantages of then coming to another space that is exclusively yours is that if you do need to, like, metaphorically or mentally turn a lock on a window and say, okay, let's yes. just... Oh, yes, you I have, have my way. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, I, I think I'm a kind of refugee sometimes, you know, from that. Because uh, sometimes I, I will have my mother's house now, and that's where very often I'll meet people because mm -hmm. I don't want to do history. Yeah. Know, oh, there we are on the wall. Yeah. Oh, there we, we were in Paris. And, yeah. You know, it's just... Uh, it's about the next... Yeah, I, w I would like to really meet that person without all of that wonderful it's wonderful stuff yeah but, but it's still baggage but it's still it's still yeah. it's still uh, there to it will just uh, take over you yeah. know yeah so uh, when i know them better maybe yeah. we would do that <laughs> so we mentioned a little earlier the sort of idea of collaboration and and i think recently and certainly um collaborating with other poets has been it seems to have been an important part of your your process most recently uh the boogie woogie crisscross with uh, Lawrence Matsuda. Um, now, t how did that work? Was it, I think you told me it was sort of based on an email exchange? Yes, um, I think he just started to miss uh, my responses because I had been helping him uh, with two books. Mm -hmm. And, um, and uh, he says that he proposed it because uh, he realized that none of our uh, correspondence, uh, which all happened on email, uh, would exist after uh, our deaths. So you need to get and it. And so we need really to talk to each other. And if this email thing is a serious thing, we would write poems on the email. <laughs> and so that's what we did. And, and it sounds like it was a very or organic process because yeah. somebody might start talking about some sub subject um, that would spark an idea in the other correspondent. And exactly. it, would, it would go from there. Yeah. Um, did you end up in entirely unexpected places? As oh, a absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I was feeding in, um, you know, Irish politics, you know, and um, and he would have to go educate himself, and he was he was diligent. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I, re I remember hearing you read uh, an extraordinarily powerful poem about Savita happen happen which was obviously happening at the time that you were having your your. Um, your correspondence with with Larry, so so 
it was that kind of organic connection between, you know, what was out there right. in the world. And it was happening in the news. Yeah. But it, there was a certain sense in which that particular event didn't seem to happen in the country until I took it on, you know, yeah. at, at least in, in my corner from people I talked to when I read that poem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, right. So what are the, you, you, you also mentioned... And I suppose translation is collaboration in a way. You mentioned the Romani oh, Romanian yeah. book, um, and quite a lot of your work has been yeah. translated into Romanian. Yes, over the years, I uh, see. I translated Lilian Urzu uh, with Adam Sorkin and with her, and uh, her English kept getting more and more wonderful, and so I think the translations got better because mm -hmm. of that. And um, over the years, I went to Romania or five times and uh, each time there I would write some poems and mm -hmm. and she kept those and she began translating those and mm -hmm. now she has made an entire book of my poems oh wonderful so it's gonna be great so when is that know. coming out uh, September 3rd so you'll be going over there yes. for that uh -huh. it's very exciting and I'll stay till the 13th and then go back to Ireland okay to uh, do something on uh, Dermot Healy they're having a festival on Dermot Healy and who Manor was a, Hamilton. Who was a great friend of yours. Yes. I mean, you, yes. you have um, quite an extensive sort of friendship among painters, among poets. Um, very lucky. You, but you clearly thrive in, in, in that sort of company as yes. well. Yes. And, you know, my collaboration with Josie on the titles of the paintings, you know, and that's really important to me. I love all the arguing we do about What's what works with what with the poem with mm -hmm. the painting, you know? Mm -hmm. They're almost little koans uh, sometimes those titles. And you also produced a book together of of his because he's a storyteller. Yes, we so did that together. Twelve years, following him around <laughs> with a tape recorder. Wow! <coughs> giving him a little nagging of whiskey. Yeah, because we haven't putting really him before a fire. Because <laughs> we haven't. I mean, you write fiction and and uh, as well, um, and we haven't really had time to to touch on that, but. Uh, it must be fascinating just sort of seeing that Irish storytelling tradition and, and yes. the rhythms and cadences of that. Um, Absolutely. It, um, it must have been fascinating. Yeah, it was, it was fun to try to get a written form for the beauty of the spoken. Mm. Mm -hmm. And that's what I, my ambition was uh, when I finished that, was that I could carry that voice in the written form, and he actually, and this is not maybe so good, began to prefer the written. But I would say, no, no, I want you to tell that, you yeah. know, because we would get in company. Mm -hmm. Come on, you can do it, you did it. <laughs> and I want to say it was called duck soup, or, or am I imagining? Barnacle soup. Barnacle soup, that mm -hmm. was the great, I knew it was good, the Marx Barnacle Brothers soup. were getting in there somewhere. Barnacle we saw soup. barnacles yesterday, we were at the Natural History Museum. Ah, very good, very, <laughs> very good. Um, so what, what are you working on now? I'm working on this book, Is Is Not, um, I probably would have finished with it, except that uh, Grey Wolf, my press, uh, which my book was the first book uh, they ever published, and when I put the manuscript in, uh, they have uh, such a long line of people already accepted that by that time they said, well, we wouldn't be able to publish you till 2019, but yes, yes, we accept you. So then I went back to the book, and uh, I have just keep like the sea. Going do you tinker? Do you do? You oh yes, and throw things out. And so how do you and know when a poem is finished? Around. 
well, it does settle down. But I'm really glad for the time. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, maybe um, two years still ahead of me is a bit excessive, but um, I'm sure I'll make use of it, you know, because I think it's interesting. I, I've hit some interesting things in, mm. in working with it. Yeah. And, um, and I was saying to my niece who's visiting um, this morning that I, I feel that, that I'm somehow writing outside language or write, writing past things or kind of fumbling around. Mm. Um, so the poems are changing. Yeah, and they're, they're changing. And the way, the way I'm in them is changing. And last night, I just really had a funny night where a poem kept kind of coming, and it was coming like a little koan, you know. And the po the book is divided up into these sections, and every night I, I have uh, this book by my bed. It's called Japanese Death Poems, and I mean, I actually love these poems. Mm. I just read you one yeah, for an example, um, because they they divide up the book. And so I got writing them myself, and I think that's why this one came. And what's their history? In the night. Well, they're over centuries, you know, and uh, the, the monks would, would write these as their death poems, you know, before they died, they would write these. And uh, either they would tell their um, followers, you know, write this down, mm. and mm -hmm. they would keep it, or they would have it already written and would be found. Gosh. So this... Uh, well, I start out with Osip Mandelstam, which I, I really like that one, too. It's, am I real? Do I exist? And will I really die? I just love that one. And um, let me see if I can find one of the, the monks. I don't like that one as well as I. Well, this one is kind of mild, but I like it. Mm -hmm. um, for 80 years and more, by the grace of my sovereign and my parents, I have lived with a tranquil heart between the flowers and the moon. It's beautiful, gorgeous. you that know? That is very, very, very gorgeous. Just, just love it. So is there maybe an example of a poem that you feel is part of that kind of surprising going beyond language that you were talking about that well, this is, uh, I'll just read you this sketch. I don't know if it's not probably finished, but this is what I got up to this morning. And I was supposed to be in having my shower, but I... <laughs> I remember a poet talking about, wouldn't it be great to have waterproof notebooks that you could take them into yeah. your shower? Well, you? you have to do it first thing or you've totally lost it, you know? I entered this world not wanting to come. I'll leave it, not wanting to go. All this while, when it seemed there were two doors, there was only one, this passing through. Wow. Did it any good? No, well. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I love that notion of the, 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 the sense of the, you, you're making an assumption about, you know, yeah, the, that these there's doors a coming and then in fact. And there's a going. Yeah. But so it's just, all of it is just this passing through. It's all the you same. Know, and it's just all of a sudden that space just collapsed. Yeah. And it was the language. Do you remember uh, that cave in um, A Voyage to 
India? Is that the, the, the Forster thing? where It's the cave where you say anything into the cave and the only thing that comes out is um. Oh. Any, any <laughs> word gets thrown in and all. It's this echo. And I think it makes one person kill themselves. They're so appalled oh, at this yeah. notion of reducing yeah. all experience into oh. the um coming out of the cave. I um, felt I've, I felt um, uh, differently about th this. I, I felt rather settled. And uh, it's a good it took thing, some, of the, some of the fear out of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I anesthetized the whole problem. <laughs> well, listen, it's been a great pleasure to have you here and to chat. Um, it's been a long time trying to, to find the time when you were here yeah, to have you, you along. So we're, we're delighted you could. Um, and really looking forward to what you produce next. Well, Whichever you. door you go through. I'm still tinkering. Yeah. So thank you very thank much. You. Thanks thank very you. much. And thank you for watching. Um, we'll be back again next month, again with very interesting conversation about the art of writing. And uh, thanks for watching. Yes, I know that I'm just a dreamer. I dream because it's the closest. I'll ever get to you